All of us are on a complicated journey of faith, pursuing truth and deeper knowledge of God. But how do we know we're doing it right? Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing, and it can be a painful and difficult journey, and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and one of my best friends, Marty Frederick, and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I am Josh Patterson, and with me today is my good friend and co-host, Marty Frederick. Marty, what's going on, man? Not much, Josh. Hey, this is like two weeks in a row with two podcasts on the same day for us. Yeah, what's well, good. You know, I just miss you so much <laughs> being so far away that yeah. we just have to get together more often. Someday soon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it works out well. But yeah, yeah, this I'm excited. This this should be fun today. Actually, I did a total I did a total nerd thing, which you know you can totally make fun of me for. I had to run out to the store and so I, I grabbed my hoodie and threw it on, and it's definitely an Emery hoodie, which is a total fanboy thing to do. <laughs> and so when we introduce our guests here in a second, y'all can make fun of me as much as you feel the need to. Um <laughs> But yeah, before before we introduce them though, Marty, I wanted to give a quick shout out to somebody. Is that cool with okay. you? Yeah. Sure. So we, Noel and I, uh, listeners, if you don't know, Noel's my wife. We have a good friend named Acacia. Uh, Acacia was in our wedding and such, and it was actually Acacia who introduced me uh, to what is called the Bad Christian Podcast um, a couple years ago, back when I was going through some uh, really crazy things. And so I just wanted to give her shout out and thank her because. She's basically the cause of, of the conversation we're about to have today. So wanted to thank Acacia for that. Thanks for that. That's great. Yeah, good deal. Sweet. Well, let's go ahead and bring in our guest in with us today. Uh, from Emory and also the Bad Christian Podcast, we have Matt Carter and Toby Morrell. Matt and Toby, how are you guys doing? Doing good. What's going on, guys? Glad to be here. Sweet. Well, thank you for, uh, for taking some time to hang out today. Uh, we're excited to have you guys. So we should also thank Dan for for hooking us up too. Dan, oh, kinda, Dan Coke, yeah, what a guy. Yeah, we, Toby and I turned down just thousands and thousands of requests, but if it comes through right. Dan Coke, we say yes every that, time. Exactly, that's what I figured. So I had to make sure that uh, Dan was the plug there, so it worked out well. No, well, Dan's a good facilitator. People, he's always connecting this person or that and that kind of thing. So I do appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love Dan too. He's awesome. Um, well, Matt. Toby, we, we have a question we ask every guest that come on the podcast, and that question is, uh, who is your favorite hockey team? Favorite hockey Mighty team. Ducks, I guess, from the movie. Isn't that, are they a real team now? Are they a real hockey team now, the Mighty Ducks? They are in yeah. Anaheim, yeah. So that's mine. I mine love is the uh, New Jersey Devils. I, I once uh, I, I used to like oh, the New one. Jersey Devils only just because of the association with the devil. I, when I was in high school, um, I had some friends and, and I that we were into, you know, the devil and just being bad. And so we identified the New Jersey Devils. And at one point I had a hat. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we spray painted like on signs like six 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 and just stuff like that, you know, just for a little face. I can't watch hockey on TV, but I I going to a hockey game. I've been to one before. It was really fun, but watching yeah. on TV, I, there's just nothing I can. I don't understand what I'm watching. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to update my answer. My favorite hockey team is whatever hockey team plays in Peoria, Illinois, in the stadium there because. <laughs> We once we once right. opened for the hockey oh, yeah. game in Peoria in the arena there, um, and they made we were playing with Switchfoot on a tour, and Switchfoot had a gig where they were uh, playing at the end of the hockey game, 
and we thought this was going to be awesome. But they wanted Switchfoot to start right when the hockey game ended for the whole arena. But as such, as the opener, we had to play before the hockey match and they didn't have any time. So we actually played the second doors open. So we're playing to an empty arena, empty <laughs> as the yeah. first one, two, three, six, nine, 18 people come in and then we're about wrapped up. So <laughs> and then they had the hockey game and then a switchfoot concert. <laughs> there you go. I think you guys are the first people ever to, to be on our show that like opened for a hockey game. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I play in what's uh, commonly referred to as a beer league uh, hockey team. And uh, so maybe you guys could come in and open up for one of our games. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That'd, that'd be awesome. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> That's cool. Well, and I think you guys are probably, you know, I've played at hockey games too, but in college with, with like pep bands and stuff like that, which is a totally different thing than oh, what yeah. you guys did. Um, but I guess, you know, there's the only other bio question I think we really wanted to cover today, um, which is a little more serious, I guess. But I mean, it could be it could not be. It depends on your answer, I guess. Um, but what is the most important aspect of your faith that you've had to rethink? Our podcast is called Rethinking Faith. So that's why mm-hmm. we asked that question. What is the most? Say it one more time. The most important aspect important. of your faith that you've had to rethink or that you have re- rethought. It doesn't, you didn't have to do it, I guess, but. I mean, I guess it, it, I'm sure lots of people say this, but mine probably is I have, I want to say I've completely changed my mind on this, but I think because it was ingrained in me at such a young age, there's always a little bit of a percentage of fear, or maybe it could be true, but eternal damnation. I just think that one, I, I have to get rid of that. I cannot, it, I just cannot come to grips with a father who would punish his kid forever for a mistake. Like th- th- those stakes are just too high for a kid that doesn't know anything. And now me being a dad to three little kids, the fact, I mean, I, I'm not the best dad in the world and I'm, I, by any means, like I'm, I'm not even that great of a dad and I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't you know, torment my kids forever for something that they didn't get right. You know, I, I, I just believe there has to be, so I believe way more in redemption now, like more than I ever have. Like that is the whole story that redemption is the key to everything. And, that, and I mean, I even think that it applies so much to today, just people in general. I feel like we do not want to give anybody any redemption. We want them to be ended. We want to win. Uh, you know, you got shut down, you're off the internet, you're off social media. And so I think that redemption is the, the thing that I value most now, whereas it used to be just, hopefully I didn't go to the fiery place. Mm-hmm. I will answer that the rethinking is I now embrace as the ongoingness, uh, that the, the, the idea of the rethinking in itself is central to the the process to me and i think at the heart of that is um probably the notion of the only way i know how to say is magic like what is figurative um you know what what is the amount of my faith that hinges on something that's magical versus something that could be understood if you could understand more like it you know where where is it not just where are the things where it's really necessary to be supernatural or not um and that's got and i think that always has to stay an open question so that the rethinking that is i think the fundamentally what what there is to do maybe is I'm not trying to eliminate the spiritual or the supernatural, but keeping your finger right on that pulse. Cause most of the things I used to think were settled and supernatural, I no longer do. So I must embrace that trajectory as far as I can go. So it's not that I go farther one way or the other, but a thinner and thinner road of focus and deeper appreciation for often things that do turn out to be a little less magical than I thought, but more profound. Yeah, that's good, Matt. So I guess you never rethought the whole like spray painting six 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 on stop signs and the devils and stuff. That I mean, that's fun. Well, so that's good. part of my history, though. I mean, I, I mean, I was I was like, I mean, I I, I did it on purpose because right. I, you know that's a real rebellious thing to do. And I mean, I was just, it was playful, but I mean, I was into that phase of rebellion seriously sure. Sure, because sure. 
because it, it, it the fundamentalism is so clearly it begs for rebellion. I just so right. clearly that was just an expression of it. You know, I didn't ever believe that or not believe the thing I wanted to believe or think Jesus was bad or anything. But yeah, I mean that it's like if I get pushed in some direction, it's going to come out somewhere. <laughs> no, straight yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And also too, I liked how you, you, you honed in there on this idea of like a continual process of rethinking, which like in our, in our, um, like our logo or whatever for rethinking faith, we have re in parentheses, re in parentheses to imply just that, that it's a constant process of rethinking and rethinking and rethinking. It's, it's never kind of done. It's like a, a journey of becoming never, never one of necessary. Right driving so yeah because some people think of rethinking so that you get the thing you, oh i had it wrong and i'll have it right or whatever but i mean right. i i don't you know there, if i ever do have it right at that time i certainly won't even know that i'm right yeah i even you know i may have been right in the past and, and farther off now but i don't get i really don't get to know right right yeah exactly that's good Sweet. Well, so today, basically, the the general idea uh, for what we wanted to talk about is we kind of wanted to trace like the story of Emery with your guys's own personal like journey experience, whatever language you want to use to it. Um, and so for starters, just briefly, what did your like faith upbringing look like as a child, if anything? Mine was liberal, uh, Presbyterian in the south so all of my parents uh friends were like you know slightly like more just liberal mainline presbyterian the joke being that the difference in a baptist and a presbyterian is a presbyterian will say hey to you in the liquor store you know they didn't take their faith from my point of view growing up very seriously they just went to church and it was what it was and the presbyterians saw themselves as slightly maybe higher class than the fundamentalists and the southern baptists in our town and that was you know the the church that we went to from my view it didn't seem that they were super into it and you know it's funny. There was a, a class system, I think, with the churches. We we both grew up in Greer, South Carolina, basically on the outskirts of it. And uh, my church that I grew up in was called the Church of God of Prophecy. And uh, it thought, it, I mean, Matt's church was lost. I mean, y'all were really in trouble. Oh, yeah. You know, it got a little bit better with the Baptists. You know, but but that's that class system there. Y'all were the rich elite. I'm putting that in quotes there uh, of Greer, and you know the more right. wealthy they didn't care about their. I mean, like you said, they didn't care about their religion as much. It was more of a social gathering. The Baptists are a little poorer, and so they were kind of like, yeah. and we were like low, low on the totem pole, low socioeconomically. Uh, so we made up for it in very charismatic church, and then everybody was wrong. You know, the church I grew up in, uh, women weren't supposed to wear jeans or even cut their hair, no jewelry. My parents didn't exchange wedding rings when they got married. What They really weren't supposed to wear makeup or any, you know, earrings, anything like that. Couldn't go to movie theaters because it was all sin, 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 sin. And so everybody, I thought everybody was in trouble that didn't go to our church or our denomination. I, I just thought for sure. So, I mean, I remember seeing other churches and going, man, they sure do look so much bigger than ours. <laughs> I never put two and two together. All the churches I ever grew up in were about 40, 50 people, but somehow we had it right. But this other one, oh man, they just give them that syrupy, sweet, satanic uh, preaching in that church. You know, that's demonic over there. That's why they get so big because the devil has a hand in it. Ours is small because we're the truth tellers. You know, people don't want to hear the truth. So that's what I grew up in. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I grew up in the Midwest. And so, I mean, n- now that you're living out this way, you, you think you understand like churches out here, every church is large, but none of them are really fundamental. <laughs> like yeah. all of them just kind of have this sort of Midwesternish, you know, we're kind of right down the middle. Uh, I, I, I've always been very intrigued by the, the Appalachia um, church mindset. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's very different than what I've ever experienced or seen. Um, so then, like, how did you guys meet and like, how did Emory become a thing? Like, like how did that, how did that process begin? Well, Devin isn't here with us, but he's the other big counterpart of Emory and does stuff with, you know, partners with us and does a lot with everything from bad Christian on. But Devin and I went to the same elementary school. I knew I would play on baseball with Devin since I was six, um, known him by basically my whole life. And, uh, Devin, when he went to college, he went to Winthrop University, um, and he started being friends with we, Toby and I went to one high school apart, 
and Toby had sang at my church before. Like he's somebody I saw, but he's three or four years older than me, so it never hang yeah. out or anything like that. But he was so delayed in his academics that he what we wound up in college at the same time. <laughs> Devin went the year before me um, to college and, and got into the choir with Toby there. And then by the time I wanted to go to that college a couple of years later that Devin went to, um, he had already been friends with Toby. So that, at that point, it was probably 1999 or 98, we probably all started hanging out in co yeah. college with a couple of years of college to go. And that was, we started playing music kind of right away. And then Joey Svensson, who started Bad Christian with us, him, me, and Toby, Devin, all started Emory. And that core of that, whatever that was, has been spinning out our various creative outlets and intellectual properties ever since. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, that's what's up. So when uh, Emory first started then, like what what role did did Faith play in that process? Like did you guys set out to be a Christian band did you try to do like the, well, we're a band of Christians that's like, you know, in the secular market. What what did that look like for you guys? What was your initial intentions? So Creed or Switchfoot? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I don't, uh, I think that we fell into the same thing everybody else did. We didn't want to be a Christian band. And, you know, you start thinking, well, maybe we are Christians, but uh, so a band of Christians, like that's what the the everybody started saying. But we didn't want to, we didn't really want to, I guess we didn't know. We never played in front of anybody. So if people at churches would come see you, we would have done it. And we even started that way. We, uh, we got on a few tours that were like just Christian venues or just churches, but, uh, that ended pretty quickly because we just felt, it felt like the most fake thing we'd ever done. It just felt like the youth group was there because it was safe. They didn't know who you were. I mean, we were an unsigned band on a tour of a church. We were touring with this band called number one gun that eventually signed a tooth and nail. And uh, we became friends with them and uh, we were playing some shows at churches and the churches were treating us so kindly. I mean, they would give you like a $200 guarantee. We'd never even gotten a $50 guarantee before. And uh, we got a $200 guarantee, two hotel rooms, uh, unbelievable snacks to take you out to dinner, all this stuff. And you'd play the show and it was just like, it felt too goofy. It didn't feel real. It really wasn't about the music. It was more about the event and the church saying, look at this cool band that comes. And then, you you know, you have to do the break where the pastor comes up on stage for 10 minutes and talks to the kids who don't really want to hear him. They just want to hang out or be with their friends or whatever. And so it just felt uh, we just couldn't do that anymore. So at that point, we stopped doing that. We continued like we play a festival. If you're going to pay us a lot of money to come to a festival, we would play those. But for the most part, playing churches just kind of and being in a Christian scene felt like it was going to end us. Like we couldn't get out of it. Once you get, and there's a lot of bands we know that are like that. Once you get into the, that scene, it's really hard to get out of it. And then you're just in it. And then you can't really experiment or try new music or uh, write lyrics all the way, the way you want to. So it just kind of ends up really putting you in a compartment that you don't want, you know, a small box that you don't want to be in. And so I would say we, we were definitely Christians, very conservative Christians. I mean, you know, when we first started Emory, I mean, we were, uh, definitely against uh, gay marriage, uh, you know, divorce, uh, you know, we you need to pay your tithes. You need to know, you know, every, sexual immorality is bad, even though we were kind of dipping our toes into that and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we were very much on that right side of Christianity back then. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. So, so then how long was it into Emory, um, that you guys joined up with Mars Hill and what, what role did faith play in that decision? Well, we were, you, if I look back on it, I understand that our Christianity was really tied up in our music, of course, because it's the kinds of things we'd write about and were motivated about. And the strong emotions we had probably came from those points of views, you know, from Christian points of views. So it all was pretty connected, but it's almost that we saw, the bad side of Christian music as silly, not because we thought Christianity was silly, but because it, it wasn't serious enough about Christianity. Like, oh, this is just a dumb youth group thing. We, I mean, there's real work to do. Like we thought there's right. got to be more. There's got, you got to be, there's got to be the way to do Christianity that isn't this cheesy stuff, basically. Um, so when we found Mars Hill, it was pretty early on because they had a venue, the Paradox, that was doing all ages shows in Seattle cool. that was cool, that that they just knew how to project the right image and attract the right people. It never got a stigma. And it was like Christianity, 
that was ballsy and real or something. And so mm-hmm. it was immediately attractive to us. And there was people in that system that were, you know, good musicians, uh, people from tooth and nail bands, Jeff from 90 pound wuss ran the music and was a s- snooty and snobby above us. and wouldn't even let us play at, no. at the church, you know? So it was like, it put us in a submissive point of view to something that was even, you know, here we are, this band and everything, but there's this church that's like, well, church, that's even more serious than what we do. Like it helped us feel that we're part of a bigger thing, not just our dumb band or whatever our own stuff is. So it really did play a role in making us feel, you know, anchored somehow. Um, And uh, there was a lot of good things going. So many talented people were there that were better artists and musicians and all these and smart people that understood theology and it wasn't watered. It's like people could talk above my head philosophically about theology and okay, I'll just sit there and listen. I've never been exposed to anything like that. Podcast still weren't a big thing and i'm not a big reader so it was some of the first time i'd heard men really talking and challenging and speaking intellectually and firmly and so it's like it was just really easy to think these people have already been over here working on this they've got they're ahead of us we'll just keep going following this road that's kind of the way you know i think it felt but that was probably 2005 and six um and then uh you know that we all lived in seattle at that time so we started being involved but then we were on the road so much that it was just a remote thing and that was when podcasting started so it's like we can listen to the sermons and at that point everybody that wanted to felt like they went to mars hill because you just listen to mark preach whether or not we were home or on the road or and then toby and Devin then moved away yeah. so we kind of split off what the things we did but for that period of time that was the easiest christianity i think to consume it just been mark's sermons basically hmm. yeah we were we fell right into it i think it, it tapped into the you know manliness and masculinity and you know the the your weaknesses and how can you make yourself stronger and then i would say too on the music side I mean, uh, the paradox was an all ages venue. So it, and it was cool. It really was good. So we, we were Christians from the South all of a sudden in Seattle. And I think that, uh, Seattle, even though they were, you know, maybe a little socially more liberal, um, there was the paradox. And then there was this club down in, uh, Tacoma called club impact. And in retrospect, when I think back on it, it, so many people, their parents drag them to church and they're in youth group, even in Seattle, you know, there's the, you know, Marcy always says the least church place, but uh, there's a lot of youth and they found a little niche there. Like those, those Christian clubs, Christian leaning clubs found a niche where that's where your parents would let you go because supposedly it was associated with Christianity and it was still pretty cool. They were playing some really cool. I mean, they were really cool local bands and uh, touring bands that were playing at those clubs. And so it kind of created its own little scene with a Christian attachment to it. It was kind of neat. Yeah, it would have been from Mom to Ashes and 18 Visions were playing there, stuff like that, just hardcore yeah. bands and just yeah. any touring. It wasn't, they didn't care if it was Christian. They wouldn't try to force anything. It just it wasn't anything like that, but it did really work out. And yeah. that was something Mark always did was know that if he would surround himself with talent, it just all got ultimately attributed to him. And it really did. I mean, he yeah. just only, he was one of those people who, really understood you go out and buy talent or whatever if he was a business person that's what he would be all about basically yeah. like steve jobs you hire the best engineer you know and, and just get all the good associations and brand associations and it, it really did work yeah hmm. I, I my first ministry role was actually in oak harbor washington um uh, up on whidbey island and when i arrived i was a youth pastor and uh there was an allen and heath GL 2400 mixing board uh, that had the Mars Hill logo on the case. And uh, someone told me they had gotten it from the church from Mars Hill when everything shut down, they just got it for free. Like, oh, wow. I, I don't know how that, I don't know how that worked, but <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting to me that, you know, yeah. so it's, I have like a small Mars Hill connection for like two years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You, um, you real quickly, you mentioned that you found like uh, Mark's uh, preaching um, like alluring or, or something, you enjoyed it. Were you guys a part of Mars Hill when like he was in his whole like angry, you know, God hates, you know, people in this room, all that kind of stuff. Were you a part of it then? And like, did, was that part of the draw, like that kind of like ballsy type yeah. thing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. When he turned a bit a, a big soft a big fake softy. I mean, I, that was not the good part. Right. <laughs> it was when he was young and angry and saying real shit is what I liked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't stand by the things he said I- anymore, but that that was the attraction. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Right on. 
Sweet. So, all right. So now you guys are at Mars Hill. All right. So you're there. What was it like being on the road, but, but also practicing your faith at the same time? Like what hurdles did you face as you're, I, mean, you, you, I guess you mentioned kind of listening to the sermons, but how, how did that go about? Like, what's it like to be on the road practicing faith, like growing as a Christian, trying to be a good disciple as they talk about uh, all at the same time? What do you remember, Toby? It's different phases where it really had changed. I mean, pretty early on, we tried many. We did things a yeah, lot. We, we do Bible we, studies or whatever. Yeah, we do Bible studies. We try to go to church on Sunday morning before the show that night. And I, I guess if I had to really say, the more you're in the world, and this is what they, you know, at least what they taught me in these small backwoods churches, the world will change you. So you got to stay away from it. And they're right about that. The more you are start to be around people that aren't just in this Christian small club or whatever, you start realizing, wait a minute, I'm focusing on making sure I go to church for two hours and hear that pastor and, and do this tithing thing. I'm just checking off a list as opposed to, wait, I'm actually hanging out with somebody and we're having a real conversation and we disagree and, and maybe they're right and I'm wrong. Like maybe I'm wrong about this uh, this this homosexual uh, idea that I have that it's wrong and sinful. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong that uh, I should just give my tithe to the church. Maybe I should give it more freely other places. Or I, I'm, and those are just you know whatever. That's off the top of my head. I think we started realizing more and more that wait a minute, the things that we were focusing on weren't as important. So why why am I really? I didn't get done till one or two a.m. and I'm going to try and force myself to go to church just to say I did it until people, I did it more than I really care about it. And so I think at the more and more we toured and were away from the Sunday morning system, the more it felt uh, like we were being changed. Now, even with that being said, you know, we started our band like in 2001 or whatever. We, by, well, let's see, I became the worship leader at Mars Hill uh, West Seattle campus in 2011. So I, it, it was still a very much a part of my life. I mean, I'm, I'm saying we were changing, but we were just changing really slow. You know, over a decade, we our thoughts and at least we started questioning things. Maybe that's when we kind of we were rethinking, like I was saying, the ongoing rethinking. Uh, I would say probably after Mars Hill imploded, that's when I think a lot of change happened. We started really questioning everything way more. But on the road, it's just I mean, you're really busy doing your job. Like, I mean, I don't the the, the server at Applebee's, I don't want them worrying about Christ as much as getting me the refill on the Diet Coke because that's their job or whatever, you know, or like our job is to drive and sell t-shirts and try to perform. You know, we we're on stage for about an hour a night and the rest of the time we're trying to sell those t-shirts and drive our asses off. And so we we started focusing more on that and, you know, trying to be better musicians and, you know, do do better at touring and all that stuff. Um, but it was a part of our life. Faith is a part of our life, but I think the impact of church system became less and less and less yeah it's when you see it like it's, it's interesting because you go if you go to different towns and then you go to their everywhere in the studio we got to find a church while we're here you know and you keep doing that it's like i've also seen more olive gardens and guitar centers than anybody that works at olive garden or guitar center yeah. i understand it better than they do i'm sorry that sounds arrogant but i understand guitar center better than most of their employees because i've been to 75 of them right <laughs> you know and they don't have that experience they just right. know their boss and this thing and maybe they yeah. know the other store or down the street and maybe they've worked there five years but i promise you there's a large perspective that the guitar center employee does not possess that i do so, again, sounds arrogant, but if you try to go plug yourself into a church in every city every Sunday because you think you should because of all the reasons, you will see it differently. And then you're playing Christian, you know, you're you're working on the inside yeah. of the industry to some degree, and then you start to it starts to erode what you thought was bulletproof or made a lot of sense. You see, doesn't also it's not your preacher and that's not your community. So when you see them, you go, oh, they these people don't, <laughs> they're just. You can see the pattern if it's not your pastor and your local community and everybody that grows up in, you know, like even if you surf the different churches in your local community, it's still your your lenses are just that's the part you don't see. And so it, it, in a way to go really travel and see a bunch of different churches and what they do the same and different, it, it's uh, I mean. I, I don't I think it's very informative, but it would have a negative impact on the confidence you would have in such systems, basically, to, to get that experience. Yeah. 
So I don't want to sound like a, some expert or whatever, but that is the, the kind of experience. It's eventually, it, it just kind of, you you know, and so then it's hard to talk about because then it sounds critical or whatever, but you keep feeling that, well, there has to be more. It, it basically is the feeling that you get. There has to be more than this. This cannot, this guy who you used to think was super wise or hold, held X position when you realize uh, they don't though. Now you keep looking for new and new, new and more stuff. So again, Mars Hill was, had the, like, it was so bold that it at least was bluffing higher level than I was willing to understand or believe myself. And then to see it kind of collapse, you know, it's just, it's really hard to, you know, I don't see how anybody could have the set of experiences that we do um, and not have the point of view that we have. You know, I think it is kind of matter of fact that way. Yeah. Right on. So, so both of you mentioned like the blow up at Mars Hill uh, when shit kind of hit the fan. So what, just briefly for people who don't know what happened there and then like, how did that impact you guys? Which, which both of you have kind of touched on, but yeah, it's hard to say briefly, but it, it includes um, the the gist of it is that that Mark uh, was really bold, said a lot of things that were tr- seemed true and right that he believed, and but that did what you know his point of view didn't really hold, and he became more and uh, less and less about the things that were initially attractive to him, to us, and all the other talent around, and it became more and more about power and his agenda or message, which became less and less tied to what he said it was tied to, and more and more just his brand, his size, his power, the growth, and whatever that way. And so it undermined uh, um, a lot of the talent people left one at a time, and it became a pretty hollowed-out, empty, power-accumulating thing with more and more distance between between the the ranks so to speak um until it just couldn't hold anymore it it was its fate was kind of sealed pretty early on with some of the power transitions and uh consolidation of power through through the years basically Uh, mark was very effective at that was able to do it but ultimately to his and the whole church's detriment so um without even assessing anything about you know what his personality is like or mental health or anything that's just the the mechanical nature i think of how mars hill uh came to fail um and it was it was really everybody had such a momentum with it especially because we knew it's the last this is the last place that maybe i could find a church that really does like i was telling you i needed a high dose of what church was promising to be to get me to keep me engaged and so to see that one spin out of control is really hard to admit because you're super hyper invested in it long term and you know what's what's the what's the other church? i'm not going back down to mom and pop church i'm going back to a presbyterian church i don't think the catholics i mean i knew it wasn't any turning back that way so it was really hard to get off of the ship but ultimately um was able to it started to be so clearly hypocritical and inauthentic and against you know what my core values that it became clear it was clear to my wife before that did some damage because i was had allegiance to the church over our relationship when she was right i mean other people were right you know so i had to go through all that and eventually still leave and feel bad for all the people you left when you left and so you know that's not been great all all the way around um but i consider that a relatively mild compared to a lot of more traumatic um effects it had on many many other people i see and know um you know ins and outs of it but that was the gist of it uh, yeah. for, for me and, and, and he just it, he just turned on everybody and blamed everybody in the church and then left town with his tail tucked between his legs for a guy that talked so big and bold he really did like just kind of left town in the middle of the night and that was it and now he's in arizona trying to restart something but for somebody that was so tough and so much about masculinity and strength he did he just just really showed how weak he was I mean, it was just a weak person that talked big and that, and that works. That's what I was thinking about when we were talking here. It, it, it's interesting. Like you were saying, Matt, how all the churches we went to, you're right. Like, uh, there were times like where I'd go to, I would go, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to church. So I'll give you two examples. Most of the time it's just some normal church. You know, we'd end up at a Presbyterian church or a Baptist church, maybe a Catholic church or something. One, one Sunday I, I woke up and everybody was still asleep. I was like, I'm going to church. So I got dressed uh, I rode around, couldn't figure out where I was. I was like, ah, I didn't have, I don't, I think this is before we had cell phones. So you just had to, you know, uh, uh, we were at home in, in uh, Maple Valley and, uh, I was like, I'm just going to go find a church. I rode around, I saw one. I was like, I'm going to go in there. 
uh, I went in and I just saw like all these beautiful couples with tons of kids and it, the church was packed and I was sitting in the back and it, this old man came up and spoke for a long time. And then eventually that's, that's like, I started put two and two together and I was at a Mormon church and I was like, Oh, and, and I was like, I, I, and it was so strange. I was like, Oh, this is so similar, but it's, different and and then so that that was one so i just eventually i got up and left i was like i guess i should leave <laughs> i'm not gonna be a mormon i don't think and then uh, one time i think it was thanksgiving we were in philadelphia and we went to uh it was a presbyterian church but uh the we go in and the pastor is a lesbian and uh they're talking about gay rights and all this stuff now there was only about, besides us, it was me and I think Dave and Laura, Dave, our drummer, his wife, and maybe Matt, maybe you didn't go. There's somebody else in their wife. Maybe it was Devin and Megan. Um, there was about only 10 other people in this big, beautiful church. And I was thinking, I guess the tough talk always works. And that's how the churches get bigger. You take hard, harder stances or you get louder or more name it, claim it or prosperity. You have to take some hard stance because if you say we got to love people and, and try and make our community better, ain't nobody showing up every Sunday. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you really, if you really do the thing that Jesus says, it seems like the attendance is going to get less and less and less and less and less. And eventually it just won't exist anymore. That's why I think a lot of these, uh, you know, non-denominational churches, thrive because they'll have a dynamic speaker who's talking about the power of God and he'll change your life. And it feels like self-help Tony Robbins and it's all this amazing stuff. Or you get this, the Mark Driscoll is going to call it, shoot, shoot you straight and call it like it is and stuff. And that just works. I think as a part of our humanity. It's, it's something in this, that, that leader, the person that goes, Hey, you got to serve. That just doesn't sound as bold or awesome. You want to like kick ass. You don't want to go serve a meal to somebody or sit and talk to somebody, your neighbor, that sounds exhausting. That sounds horrible, but you know, what do you uh, No, No good. So it's interesting to me thinking back all the churches we went to and now seeing it as of course, the reason why some churches blow up and you have mega churches because those pastors take loud, harder stances, I believe more, more vocal, they're more, more polarized. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah, like exactly. more extreme of whatever that we see. Like, right. I, I, I swear almost everything about Mars Hill are the problems that the nation or the globe is having. I, I yep. really, I think that was really clear to me right away that whatever's going on here is new. It's it's kind of emergent. And Mars Hill was the tip of the spear of a type of thing. And yeah. it, it really did give the archetype. I'm not not the total archetype, but it's on the leading edge of, uh, you know, that kind of polarizing speech, uh, narrative stuff, grifter, internet personalities. It's just, it's not different because whether or not it's in Christianity. It's just Christianity is a good tool to use for, right. you know, influence, basically. Right. It's like right. an influence game of, of it, it, all the way tied to influencers, to podcasters, to journalism, to politicians, to preachers. That's all the same game of influence and branding. And Christianity just turns out to be very useful for it. Yeah. So, of course, it's going to drown out the pure actors that, or the Jesus, you know, people. Of course, they're going to get drowned out because you could really do a lot with the platform there. <laughs> and also, I'm certain some of y'all's listeners right now are going, not my church. Not their that's church. What, that, no. That's what we always hear. I've heard that more. Anytime I've ever had any critique of a church, you go, not my church. Actually, our pastor, man, he's he's open. We we do this, this. And I'm like, okay. Yep, that's I'm just your, argue, you know, but, just the rest, but not yeah, yours. Yeah, just the rest, not yours. Right. It's it's oddly convenient that it just so happens to be that my church is the one that's great. Right. Yeah, I think I mean I think to your point, it's it's easy to draw a crowd and and build something on, you know, fuck this and fuck that and this, you know, it just tear everything down. We're the ones with the, the right thing, everyone else is dumb, you know, whatever. That's yeah. I think there's a lot to that. That's the subversive message of the name it, claim it, prosperity people, too. They don't sound like angry and mean or whatever, but behind that is a rejection of fuck this or that. It's like, yeah, you, no, don't worry. You're going to get yours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's still it's still an extreme point of view, extreme nice, extreme tolerant. If there's an ex extreme anything is going to attract the crowd, period. Like polarized, yeah. deep base level human appeal. Mm -hmm. We're not really able to especially when it's slightly overhead and notice once you introduce spirituality, now there's not a lot of concrete ways to prove anything. So it's just really hard not to go with the base level, emotional, polarized, strong speech, mm -hmm. primal 
type things are going to work. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's that primal need for that strong man too, that leader. I mean, that, you're right. It, it, Mars Hill is a prime example of what was to come. And then we ended up with Trump, who is a faux strong man who everybody is obsessed with. It still yeah. talks way more about Trump than Biden. And we will, we will for the next maybe for the rest of his life and way more about Driscoll than every average pastor. You're right. I mean, it works. Harm and good. It yeah. does work. It grabs your attention. You can't let yeah. go good or bad. He'll be discussed more than most pastors ever yeah. in history. In, you're right. In totality. And that's good enough for Alexander the great and Mark Driscoll and Trump yeah. and everybody. Yeah, you're right. Well, you know, Josh and I worked together. Uh, it's, it's the way that he and I met at a church where uh, now that I look back on it, I'm fairly positive that the, the founding pastor wishes he was Mark Driscoll. Oh, God, oh absolutely. Yeah. Dude, he, he <laughs> worships that guy. Like yeah. he's, if, he's one of those people. I have to that, turn my like, mic off before I get in trouble for the things <laughs> I have to say about that. <laughs> I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know, you know, when you'd meet him in person, he'd be nice and kind, but behind closed doors, uh, he'd have all sorts of things to say about the people that attended his church. And, oh, um, wow. you know, even, even, even about you, you know, I mean, he would, he would say directly things about you to other people, but he'd never say it to your face. Right. Um, and so it was, it was a challenging place to work. Josh was there for a shorter time than I was and his experience was much more subversive, but um, so, so bad Christian then stemmed out of this Mars Hill blow up. So can you just talk a little bit about what your initial intentions were with bad Christian? <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of, I, I don't remember exact. It wasn't, we had started bad Christian and already even had the name bad Christian before Mars Hill imploded or before I left. I'm sure of that. Yeah. But um, it, we at the time were just, it, it was like not out of sync with Mars Hill, really. It was, it was a step, it was what I saw as maybe a step further of being even more authentic and transparent in the way that Mars Hill should have been, but never really did. Like I saw them as not doing what they ought to do. And in some way, us being a branch of, if you really want to change church and do the gospel and like, get real we're gonna have to get more real because marcel started to become obviously less real like yeah. in any case it became less authentic and more of a product that was clear even if you supported it that was certainly the the trajectory but again our core values have to do something with that authenticity like toby was saying playing church shows just didn't even feel right whatever the thing where you go yeah but that's not real it's never good enough to me if i can go yeah but that's not the real real is it if i can ask that question then it's not you know and so the bad christian was just like but what if you were a christian but you just really said whatever you've thought though what would happen then and then that's real because that's a real that sounds real to me. It felt like it, the stakes were real enough for me to go, okay, well, I probably should do that because that sounds really difficult. So it's got to be right. I mean, that's just, that's about yeah. where the logic is. So it just felt like that was what you, sh I, it was the only way to almost save the trajectory I was on because I'm committed to Christ and the church. And this was, you know, what, what else? It, looking back on it, it seems silly sounding, but yeah, I just thought, well, I got to try to do the church the right way if they want or something, probably. Or figure out how to inspire somebody else. So I wasn't trying to like, you know, I was very clearly did not want it to be a church. And we didn't start to take people's ties money. And we made sure to say it was a for-profit company with no board that we own. It's just us. There's nothing like, I do not want to make the mistake of being like a church because maybe that's wrong or not the best way to do it. But maybe what we can do is get other people to like rethink all this because this, this doesn't make sense. So that's kind of how we, it, I mean, it wasn't plan. It was no plan, but that's the best way I can say how we stumbled into that territory. And that was right at 2014. Yeah. Yeah. We thought we were going to, uh, I think naively and arrogantly, we thought we'll, we'll change church and make it better because we have ideas and a better way of doing things and churches has lots of flaws because I've worked at a church and I'm working at a church now. Like after I quit Mars Hill, I went to the mega church, uh, Seacoast as well. So I've worked at two mega churches and I thought, you know, I, you know, I uh, arrogantly thought I, I could change something or, uh, change the mission or help people see. And, uh, I think as we kept going, we started realizing more and more that that, that was, there was, is a bit of arrogance in there. Like talking, like even, even now I, I do feel a little bit, bit, like, uh, who am I to condemn a church or say something terrible? You know, we used to make fun of, uh, 
Stephen Furtick a ton. And one day I was like, I just, why are we doing this? Like, I don't know this guy or these people. And I know lots of people would say they are benefiting from this. Even if I disagree, even if they're wrong, uh, maybe I'm wrong. And so I think that's part of the rethinking too. Like if people, people are going to do what they want to do. And so I think uh, our bad Christians started morphing from that idea of we'll change the church to wait a minute, we we're changing and maybe that's enough. And maybe we can expand our minds and open uh, doors and have guests on that uh, talk, talk about all kinds of different things that include all of God's world and universe, as opposed to just maybe this little, uh, attacking, uh, we're, we're, we're Christians who drink and smoke and are tough or something like, you know, we, were we holding on to some of that Marshall mentality? Maybe. And maybe we're now we're less of that. I hope. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And I, I think it's been interesting too, just to watch like the, the progress, the progression of bad Christian, uh, but also like of, of, you know, you guys as well, like there, there's a clear, like it's, I don't know. It's just crazy. You guys managed to somehow capture like whatever the hell it was that you guys were dealing with in podcast form since however long it's been that bad Christian's been on. How many episodes do you guys have out now? It was like 400 something. It's a yeah, lot. We're in the fives. Fives. Five that's crazy. Yeah, fives, I think. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. That's, that's awesome. So it's, it's been cool to kind of, you know, watch whatever that is happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What and- sucks about that is I I guess I I mean that is right but it's only it's not that we had a good podcast cuz any any form of it whatever we were saying I know understand now at every point whatever I've been saying I don't I mean it's probably it's it's just useless or something like it didn't it didn't amount to a new certain way uh, you know there's no it's almost that there's no wisdom in the podcast is the way I would think about it. When I thought I was figuring <laughs> stuff out, but really it was, it was the reason the podcast works is people uh, calibrating to what it really sounds like to hear somebody making these kinds of changes in real time, week to week like that. That's kind of cooler in a way that the podcast is just an unfolding ch- change in people that can kind of do that or something, yeah. but it, it matter factly means that almost everything I've ever said, I don't even, this is, you know, it's not some bank of a bunch of wise things I said or anything like that. I may have thought that at the beginning, like I knew stuff to say. And now the, the longer it goes, the more likely anything I'm saying in any given moment to be cra- for me to know is crazy because it always changes. So. Yeah, I think I think there's a strength to that though. Like there's there's a certain kind of like authentic or like organic nature to something like that where it's not just about cuz I mean there's shit that I've said on this podcast, you know, we we've just celebrated 100 episodes, but there's there's even stuff I said back, you know, in like the the episode 30, you know, 40, mm-hmm. 50, whatever that I disagree with now, but I think it's cool like there's there's something to be said I think about providing for people in real time, other people like your genuine experience. This is just the shit that I've gone through. This is how I'm thinking at this point, but it's going to change. And I'm okay with that. I think that's the magic of, or the magic of what's happening. There's something to that idea because that's how real life works. Like, yeah, that's, that's how people are in general. <laughs> yeah. We're Toby and I are people that other people can calibrate too. So yeah, yeah, maybe you kind of want to know what Matt would say in, uh, 2019 about X issue or something, but just so you know, well, he's always that way. So I'm less that way or something like just to calibrate too. So there's a, that's effective week to week, but really the dimension of the art form is one of across time. It's not any, it, it's that the dimension is the, is the, the change in, over time. So there's not like some episode that you go back and listen to that you even should. But if you listen to all of them, then you should. Right. Like you right. should only listen to all the episodes. You should never listen to one of them. That's a terrible idea. And I think that's a neat, <laughs> that the, the, the value of it is traced across the episodes, not in the episodes, if that makes sense. No, ab- absolutely. And I think that ties into this, this classic like idea or saying, I forget who coined it, but it's like the medium is the message. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's exactly what it is. And and just real quick, I want to comment on this and then we'll, we'll move on here uh, to the next question. But I just want to throw it out there that like 
per like from a personal side, the way that I connected with bad Christian, I was working in a church of Marty. What did we have? Maybe like 150, 200 people. And that's like gen- being generous. Yeah. And that 150 to 200 people, there was about 60 that were core and the <laughs> remainder of them changed all the time. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was, but it never grew. So if, if you could figure yeah. out a way to keep all those other people there, the church would have been in the thousands, but they just yeah, it was, figured out how to retain anybody. So. Right. Yeah. So re- regardless, it was super transient, but this church that was 150, 200 people thought and behaved as if they were a church of 2000 people. Like, and they told us that honestly, like, Oh, we're 200, but we had a zero in the end and we behave that way, blah, 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 whatever. So like, but also it was complete bullshit. It was my first role in ministry. I'm from Maryland. I moved myself and my wife from here away from all of our family down to South Florida to Boca Raton and worked in this church. That was a complete shit show. And bad Christian was introduced to me during that time in my life. And like what bad Christian did for me was I was like, wait a minute, I'm not the only person that is dealing with this same exact kind of thing. Like I would constantly send Marty bad Christian episodes. Like, dude, you have to listen to this. Or like, just skip ahead to moment 1247 where Matt said this, or, you know, Toby said this, like, is that not our head pastor? Is that not the same exact thing? So like, Bad Christian, I so I was only at that church for eight months, but Bad Christian like sustained me in that eight months to deal with the shit that I had to deal with. And now, just to get even more personal, I'm in therapy currently for spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, like crazy shit. But Bad Christian was like the thing that let me like not even do my job well. Cause I was like, fuck that place. But that just let me live. <laughs> that just let me like do what I had to do to support my wife and make sure that we can make it back here to Maryland for our family. So like, yeah, that I was going to thank you guys for bad Christian later, but it tied in nicely there. Uh, so that, that's a cool thing. So yeah, there's a, I get a slight amount of pr- pleasure out of, you know, the only part about that is the knowledge of how uh, the church leadership would often see the church employee when they find out they listen to bad Christian or would wear a shirt. Um, the, the, the frustration that that caused the administrations of those churches. I have to admit, I take pleasure in that. That's brilliant. I love it. Well, here you can take pleasure in this too. I have a mini fridge in my office that in college we called the water fridge. I went to a private Christian school, so we weren't allowed to have alcohol on campus. So we called it the water fridge. And actually what it was, we had a sign on it that said beer crossed out with a red X and then water written into a Sharpie fridge. And that fridge sits in my office at church and I have a big fat, big bad Christian sticker right in the middle of it. So that maybe that can bring you a little bit of yeah, <laughs> pleasure yeah. as well. Yeah, I like getting under the skin of the you yeah. know the, the higher ups a little bit. That's all. Yeah. I wish them well. Well, I wish yeah. them well, but I like to irritate them. Sure, it's good. It's good. But so, um, jumping off of my you know personal nonsense, um, how like so how if at all has your guys's like personal journey these experiences that you've gone through how has that impacted your music with Emery? Like, do you guys try to reflect that now? Like, what's different about Emery from, like, The Week's End to White Line Fever? And how is that, like, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think it definitely has changed. Now, we've also gotten older, and we tour less, and uh, we, we write just as much music. Well, we write more music now. We're, we're more of an actual band, less of a touring band in every band now with COVID in a touring band. But, um, I think that uh, when you're young, you write about what you're feeling, you know, you got your heart broken or, you know, lyrics I would write was, you know, somebody died or it was something that I, I was trying to tap into feeling. So you go for the thing that you feel the most, you know, it was, it was, some young lady breaks your heart or y'all, y'all break up or she falls in love with somebody else that you can at least know this is sad. You know what I mean? Like when you're young, you have a lot going for you. And so, you know, early twenties, teens, early twenties, uh, it's harder to tap into real life experience that has been tough for you for, for at least for me. I know lots of people went through some tough times in the young age, but for me, it was harder to tap into. So I think back then I was, uh, 
you know, kind of superficially tapping into some of the, what, what, where have I been hurt before? What made me feel emotional? And now having lived through a lot more life, uh, I've experienced some really tough emotional things and I've know what life is like a little bit more now. Uh, you know, it's two, three decades later. So I think our lyrics and our band definitely have been changed and we're not the same. It's not as superficial anymore. And that sounds like it's so cheesy to say we're more mature and all stuff, but you almost can't help but be because the source that I write from now is way, you know, the, the well that I write from is way deeper. And so I have more lived experience. I've had real bad things that happen and real amazing, wonderful things that happen in my, you know, the God that I believe in now is more accessible than back then. And he's bigger and, and stronger and not, not weak, like a, a fake strong man or something like that. Now, and when I say stronger, it's just a, it's more solid to me that, uh, so my faith in lots of ways, I would say is way stronger than it used to be. My church attendance is zero. So that, that is way less, you know, there's all these way more and way less things as you get older. And so I think of course it just naturally flows into, I want to say something on a song. What do I want to say? And it's, you know, deeper and more, probably more passionate than it used to be. That's, that's great. Yeah. I, I, I guess that kind of ties us really closely into sort of just our last question for you guys. Um, so just to kind of wrap us up, uh, a friend of ours uh, named Brandon Batson, he gave us a question that he was interested in hearing from you guys specifically. I know he listens to you guys often. Um, he he just kind of asks, um, so after what he would call your deconstruction, which I, I'm assuming is right right in line with with where you guys are, uh, what what about church and Jesus and Christianity in general is still worth pursuing? Or can most of the good you find in the church be found other places? I, I'd flip it a little bit. Um, I want to reframe that to say that it's to understand Jesus's intent and what he really was trying to communicate um, is more important basically but that doesn't really line up that good with the question the way that was phrased there so so to me it's the deconstruction of um process is to get to where we could ask more first principle foundational questions about the reason to do deconstruction is to then try to understand what was that jesus guy saying what did he want what did he mean that is still the fundamental question you know to me but it, that really almost scoops out all the human stuff in between here and there or puts it all into question so that's what i think deconstruction you know is 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 about so it's not and and i just find most of the human made stuff in between that claims to help solve that to to kind of be getting them in, in in my way is the way i would say it that's good. Yeah, I, I would say for me, the thing that I would, it, it's way less about punishment now and more about, like I was talking about earlier, redemption, forgiveness, um, those two things. Like I've only spoken in tongues one time in my life. I always thought, it well, I, that's a lie. When I was about 11 years old, I faked speaking in tongues so the church folks would leave me alone or, I, or they would think I was saved because uh, you had to, to be saved, you had to have evidence of speaking in tongues at the church I grew up in. And so, uh, I faked it, but, uh, I spoke in tongues. And the only thing I remember from the whole experience of actually speaking in tongues was this word forgiveness. And it's, I've been thinking about that for years, totally misunderstood what God was saying in the beginning. And for years and years, and now way over a decade, I guess I'm just learning more and more. And I think that people have a really hard time with forgiveness and especially with themselves. And so we do need examples of real forgiveness and real redemption. And I think that's what Jesus is. I mean, it's an example of real forgiveness, like, well, this is going to be complete and it's going to be really hard and you won't even be able to handle it because it, it's, it's this, it, it's this much love. It is agape, if you will, the, the, the forgiveness there. And so for me, that is what Jesus represents. Now there, there's a path to redemption because all of us are going to fuck up. Every single person on earth is going to get it wrong, no matter if their sin is little or big. However, we, you know, in a ignorant way, look at sin uh, size wise. 
But I think all of us screw up and it's not that we're bad. I used to think we're all, oh, we're bad. We're sinful. We're evil. It's, it's screw ups, but we don't know how to come back from that. Some, and the more scripts you have, which you inevitably you will, it's harder and harder to come back and forgive yourself. And you hold those grudges against yourself. And so you need an example of forgiveness that where you go, Oh, I, I, I'm worth it. I'm actually worth being forgiven so I can forgive myself and then I can forgive others. And I'll, you know, and it sounds woo woo and cheesy, but I, think that's what Jesus is now. And that's what he maybe it always was, but I couldn't see it because all the uh, red tape and the hell and the way you do things and this team versus that team. And these are the things that you have to vote for and that matter. And the things that really matter is that we don't even love ourselves or like ourselves or mm -hmm. can forgive ourselves. And of course, then we can't forgive each other. So I think that that road to redemption is the thing that matters most to me with Jesus. Yeah, I think it's funny and pretty interesting because we're at a new point in human history, I think, like just, you know, flat out with technology and society where it is. I think we're at a new point or an elbow point in some big curve. But it seems like to me that all the way back, we've been when I look back on all of Christian history now to think about where how much to deconstruct or where it might have went wrong every all the way back, it looks like a bunch of uh, power communication narrative strategies. Like if you see Dr. Fauci speaking to the public, he has a message that it ha is under a bunch of constraints and agendas to be the official message that it needs to be. And that's what Marcel felt like. And that's what it all looks like all the way back to the first century to me. Like, well, that was him in that era trying to deal with this and he had to do that. So he had to say it this way. So it's just layers and layers of that kind of stuff kind of all the way back. And so now we're at this point where I just feel like we're at a real point of self-determination and we're, 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 you know, we're post some kind of narrative or something. So I think it's going to be quite interesting, but all you can do is try to go all the way back to the source. I think yeah. is the way it feels to me. Yeah, right on. Are you guys are you guys uh, friends with Trip Fuller? Do you guys know Trip at all? Yeah, yeah. Dan's friends with him. Yeah. We did a podcast, but that yeah, that's about it. But yeah, okay. I know Trip. Yeah, so Trip's a cool dude, and he he talks about like you know I'm not a Christian, uh, you know because of all these you know normal typical reasons whatever. But he talks about the reason he's a Christian is because he actually took the stuff Jesus said seriously and then like tried it out, and it actually made his life better. And I think mm -hmm. that's a far more interesting way to live than like some set of like ideological claims or, you know, you have to do this or that or vote this way or, or whatever. And I think if, if it's, it's kind of like this um, almost like the codification of something really great always makes it shit. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like that's, yeah. that's kind of what I've, what I've it's been. It's the decoding is the, of, of, of what Jesus is and did. Like, I mean, yeah. he, he spoke in coded speech. I don't think it's near as plain as people try to act like it is. I think sure. he completely understood that it would be decoded for way that no, no matter what I know, they don't understand what I'm saying directly. Cause this is very coded shit for a long time to unpack. I, I don't think we've really gotten to yeah. a lot of what he has spoken that is still coded and we've not un decoded correctly. So it's the immature yeah. quick decoding of that. That I think is often the problem. No, absolutely. And I, I think, I think that's dead on and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and agree with, uh, you know, the likes of like Richard Rohr, who says things like, you know, the Christian faith, even after 2000 years, it's still in its like infant stage. Like we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> and that there's some, right. there's, yeah, I think he might, might just be right. And maybe a, a piece of me holds on to the, the fact, or maybe the hope that perhaps he is right. Uh, Cause like, if, if this is all there is, then I'm out basically. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be something better. So yeah, but guys, this is this has been great, man. Uh, guys, thank you so much uh, for your time today. But real quick, just um, to to plug some pluggables, uh, what's next for you guys with Emory or Bad Christian? Like, do you guys have anything fun you're working on that you want people to know about? Well, we just did, recorded one of them fancy digital concerts that people do these days. Nice. There we oh. go. <laughs> um, we we're doing. Um, it's actually the most exciting thing we've done in many, many years to be, yeah. uh, we consider it a new medium in the same way that podcasting is like a playground yeah. to go try new things. So we've put together our biggest production 
and our most effort that we've ever put into a show. Um, and we did it two shows. We did the Weeks End and I'm Only a Man. And oh, they've already been taped. And those are our highest quality performances, production wise, filming wise, musically, that we've ever audio, done. Yeah. And we get the audio, we get to share them all, you know, do a concert for the whole world like that. So just we're just dipping into that. It announces, it probably just announced after this came out. So it's probably on sale now. It'll be in January um, when they air. And that's the, the, total center of our reality right now that and uh i mean i don't know when this airs like i said but heading into the holidays trying to get some time to i don't know what not you know enjoy relax whatever that is we're trying to get the holidays that way but yeah um only other thing i'm doing is uh we also own a, a online uh sex toy store you do indeed called, called marriage supply <laughs> so we sell high quality high performing sex toys and none of that porn so uh yeah none it, of the it, porn. yeah so it, it's that's been going so well it, it's it, we took over that uh when candace and katie stopped their podcast they did the free sex podcast and they stopped and we're going to shut it down we were like hey we might could keep this store going and it's just been a blast so yeah anybody wants to check it out marriage supply.com it's uh good good on your eyes and good for your uh marriage and relationship all that good stuff great success i yep. like it very much the marriage supply this is sort of nice <laughs> i have to ask because, because Toby, you, you just said this and this is a phrase that i have only heard said one other time before and it just doesn't make any sense to me but you just said mike could oh yeah <laughs> mike well, could. I, I have no idea how anybody could not understand the usage proper usage of that very useful phrase <laughs> i don't i don't even i mean I, I really don't understand how people take a beef with that it's, it's simple you know i could uh, if i there's a fence behind me four feet tall yeah i don't know if i could jump over it or not i might could though yeah i don't I know could. i can't say if i could I, that remains right. to be seen but i might could yeah, <laughs> but you just say I, maybe I maybe could. No, yeah, I you think, can say that. Sure, I think. What's part, the difference? Part <laughs> part of the beef is that the the church that Marty and I worked at together that was shit to use you know the the best word possible for it. Like the head pastor and the founding pastor, constantly everything was Mike could this or you might could that <laughs> or like you might could yeah. <laughs> you should, so we'll link you guys all. up. You guys should be friends with them. Yeah, well, I, I might be. You able still got to. their emails? Yeah. What's wrong with yeah, that? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. heard that phrase and I got. I had like a little twitch. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's not that? Christianese. Mike could is yeah. not Christianese. No way. That's just, it is southern. Just, it's southern. Yeah, they do. They, well, I think both of them just happen to be from what North Carolina, Marty, South. Carolina. Carolina, yeah, one of the Carolinas. Oh, okay. I would have thought it was a Florida thing. I didn't think that makes no, sense. No, not at all. They well, they moved to Florida because to Toby's point earlier, Florida, not Seattle, is the most unchurched place in the whole oh, country. Is okay. So yeah, your yeah. your Seattle stuff's just wrong, Toby. I hate to make yeah. it to you. It's Florida. Those, <laughs> I believe it. And that's why COVID is so bad there. No, I'm just kidding. I can't even <laughs> I can't even joke about that. It's too messed up. <laughs> no, that's the persecution but, <laughs> narrative. You can look in, in any organization and find it. They all have one. Absolutely. You know, it's yeah. well, we're in the least church place, whatever, but that just sets up, you know, that's just a, a setup. Right. But, Every um, place is the least yeah. church place, then no place is the least church place. <laughs> well, they, they'll have a different, they'll have a different plain, claim of persecution that will be part of their fuel for, right. for, for moving forward. Absolutely. Anything to justify. Sweet. All right, guys. Well, this was great. Thank you so much. We'll uh, be sure to send you guys the link and such whenever this drops, which will be in the next couple of weeks. Uh, cool. Yeah, this was good. Best of luck to, to Thank you. Bad Christian and Emery. Keep making good music. I'm not going to pretend I'm not a fan. I love Emery. <laughs> well, thank right. you. So, we appreciate well, it. We got, we'll have more stuff coming. Sick. Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you, guys. And uh, listeners, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, as always, go Caps. Go Blackhawks, but also go that, that hockey team in Peoria. Yeah, they are in the Jersey Devils. Yeah. And the Devils and the and Mighty the ducks. ducks. Yes. <laughs> quack, quack. All right, guys. <laughs> Peace and love. All right.